Episode 401, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, the William Shatner live on stage experience. Welcome to the Strangers and Aliens podcast. Hey everyone, it's me, Ben, Ben Avery, and welcome to Strangers and Aliens, a podcast about the science fiction, fantasy, faith, and Christianity, and the imagination and all that stuff that goes along with it. And I am here with someone who doesn't normally join me on an episode like this, because he really only has joined me on episodes <laughs> about kaiju, giant monsters, and there are tiny monsters in the thing we're going to talk about right now. But welcome, Nathan. Um, hello. It's so weird to be on Strangers and Aliens and not be talking about kaiju. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. I mean, I got to talk about Superman and kaiju. Right, right. In one episode, it, it was, which was fun. And we can totally do a follow up to that because I have since found more Superman and kaiju stories. <laughs> well, I mean, we we were. Yeah, Superman was kaiju adjacent, but uh, here we are talking about something not at all uh, kaiju no. related. This is uh, definitely one of your other fandoms that you enjoy in life. I, and it was actually my first fandom, I'm going to be honest, you know, starting at like age three. <laughs> well, I am very glad to give you the opportunity to podcast about something other than giant monsters. Right. <laughs> Although when I was in high school, I did read a fan fiction that was a Godzilla and Star Trek crossover. Although by Godzilla, I mean King Ghidorah. That would make sense. King Ghidorah. It was a weird fan fiction, though. <laughs> I can't find it anymore. <laughs> I can tell you right now, I'm not interested in that at all. <laughs> Other than the concept makes sense. But yeah, uh, no, we this is the other kind of what goes around comes around. And that is the first time you and I podcast together. It was about a movie that we saw in the theater together. Uh -huh. And you were in Fort Wayne for a con and yeah. I didn't know you would be there. <laughs> and we happened to see each other. And that was, I believe the weekend that, that Godzilla came out. Godzilla 2014. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and so we went and saw the movie and talked about it. So here mm -hmm. we are back again. Uh, we went to a movie together. Mm -hmm. in fort wayne indiana yep <laughs> at the embassy theater in downtown yeah <laughs> which is right across the street from the convention center right the Grand uh, i had center. walked mm -hmm. past that theater where they had like wayne newton uh being <laughs> you know uh promoted for a concert you know later later that month or whatever uh mm -hmm. back in the day but I've always been curious about that theater because i do enjoy going to old theaters we have one here in south bend that it's just beautiful uh, and actually really reminded me of the embassy, except it's smaller, mm -hmm. but just these tall, tall curved ceilings with carvings right. and chandeliers and really, really, really uncomfortable seating. Uh, but it's an old timey theater. Yeah. <laughs> I, I it was a big deal about 20 years ago. They did a big renovation program on it if i remember correctly am i thinking of that or am i thinking of another old-timey theater that was in form i think it was the embassy well right? i mean i don't know if they did or not i i will say that it looked gorgeous though oh I yeah mean, it if they didn't do something the upkeep has been fantastic it's just beautiful theater mm -hmm. and i i did 
the seating was not comfortable. I, I, when we got up from that experience, it was, it was like a three hour or more from start to finish. Uh, three and a half. Yeah. Three and a half. Cause the movie was about two hours long. And then William Shatner spoke for about an hour and a half. And I ha- did not get up the entire time. I was shocked and, they didn't allow for an intermission. <laughs> yeah, I I tried when I stood up at the end. I really did feel like I was just like unfolding my body <laughs> after being compressed in that seat for so long. So, um, but yeah, let's talk about what the event was, and and then we can kind of get into talking about the movie as well because this is mm-hmm. an episode where we're going to talk about what William Shatner talked about and talk about just the experience. Like I, we've already started with the theater, but then also I really want to talk about Star Trek too as yes. well and and just seeing the movie brought up just these a real appreciation i have to say for what the the greatness of the movie there's a couple plot holes that i've kind of discovered and ignored over time since the the movie came out that i was aware of it does does one of them involve Chekhov? <laughs> i don't find that to be a plot hole other than well we'll get into it when we get into the movie but the plot hole <laughs> yeah, that they didn't un- know what planet they were actually at or oh, yeah. didn't realize yeah. the system where this planet is supposed to be. And we think that it's, you know, this is this planet, not that planet. Well, that planet, the, the planet they thought that it was, has blown up. So the system is all messed up anyway. I would think that their computers would have given them some sort of indication that there's something wrong or, in this, in this uh, Or, system. you know, they know how to count. <laughs> right, exactly. So... Uh, we'll we'll talk about that later. That's I mean that's a a, a quibble really. Uh, not right. not a not a real. Well, I guess it could be considered a real plot hole. But anyway, um, a little while ago, I discovered that William Shatner was doing this tour. I thought mm-hmm. that's really cool. I'm, re- I'm really curious if he's coming to Indiana. And then I look and see that he was indeed coming to Indiana. Not only coming to Indiana, but coming to Fort Wayne, Indiana, which mm-hmm. is only. Uh, well, where I used to live, it was a little over an hour and a half. Where I live now is even closer to Fort Wayne. And so I contacted my high school friend, Bill, who has joined us on this podcast before for some road trip episodes where he has driven from Fort Wayne up to South Bend to see Star Wars movies. And then he's joined us in the van in the parking lot afterward to talk briefly. And then he would head home. Um, I used to every December with the Lord of the Rings, not the Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit movies, uh, all three of the Hobbit movies. I went down to Fort Wayne to see with him because it was just, it was a, it was our tradition and Mm -hmm. it was just a lot of fun to do that. And so it's been a few years since I've seen him. Uh, I think we figured out it was maybe four years since we've seen each other. We've talked on the phone since then, but, um, but yeah, high school friend met him in 1987. Um, he is part of that group of friends that I've told the story before that basically Star Trek was our connecting point. I was mm. in a new school, Dayton Christian High School. I'm in the courtyard at lunchtime. I can't remember if it was week one or week two, but it was one of those. It was very, very early freshman year. And I see these two guys. They're talking to each other in the courtyard and they both have their 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 books for the next period after lunch. But I did notice that under my other friend's arm, under Corbett's arm with his books, his notebook, notebook, textbook, textbook, Star Trek novel. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, these are my people. Uh, 
I screwed up the courage to go and talk to them because it's I I am an introvert by nature. It's it's not easy for me to uh, meet people when I'm not in a in a role that requires me to be more outgoing. So as a mm-hmm. pastor, I go out and do the things I have to do. Um, as a you know, and as a teacher, I'll go on stage and I'll I'll do a you know a message or whatever as or go in my classroom and and teach a lesson. Um, and as a teacher, I'll talk to new students, you know, but as a, you know, just the interpersonal side of things, it's very difficult for me at a convention. If I'm behind the table and you come up to my table, no problem. We will have a great conversation, but if we're just strangers and in aliens, the night, <laughs> yeah, for strangers and aliens, um, <laughs> I'm still a strange alien. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> throw that it's not super easy for me. So I did have to work up that courage to, to go and talk to them. I just went up to them and said, Hey, is, is that book any good? And that's how it started. That's how that friendship started. And it's a friendship that, um, cause Bill and Corbett were there together and, um, they were na- next door neighbors who lived down the street from the school, which was kind of nice. It, it, it just to interrupt really quick, Bill and Corbett are two separate people. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. Not Bill Corbett. I was going to say <laughs> from mystery MST, science. Together. We got some MST three K action here. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wait a no, second. I, I actually had not made By that. their powers combined. They become pro T <laughs> robot. <laughs> no, I, I honestly, every time I hear Bill Corbett's name, I think of my buddy Corbett from high school, but I never put together that there was also a bill involved with that. <laughs> so, so I contact William and I say, Hey, Shatner's coming. Are you interested? Do we want to try and get tickets together? Uh, and so he said, yeah, I do. Let's make this work. And so um, he was trying to, you know, he was gathering together a group of people. I, I don't know exactly who he talked to, but he ended up with four tickets. Uh, one for me, one for him, one for his wife and one for his mom. Uh, but his mom couldn't come. And so you were also coming to this event Yep. Because it's in Fort Wayne. You live in Fort Wayne. Yep. And so um, I contacted you and I was like, hey, do you already have your ticket? And if so, is it refundable? <laughs> Wasn't <laughs> refundable. It's, yeah, it actually says on Ticketmaster, not refundable. Okay. Well, I figured it was something like that, but um, yeah. we did have that extra ticket. And so your dad got to come. Yep. So I, got, I talked my dad into coming. I tried the night before when I was getting the tickets to get him to come and he said no. So then I was just going to get get a ticket for myself and go by myself. And then two minutes after I get the ticket, my brother comes in. My brother, Jared, who's my roommate, <laughs> comes over and says, you know what? I think I will go. And I'm like, well, I wish you told me that already. So then we went and got onto the Ticketmaster website, found the seat where I was sitting, and then got him the seat next to it. <laughs> Which worked out nicely. And then... Uh, since your dad came, he sat with your brother and you came and sat mm-hmm. with me and we, right. and once again, we're at although, a movie together. Right. And although what was funny was once everything started, the, the, the ushers actually started telling people who were sitting higher up because the embassy has a balcony and we were sitting in the second row of the balcony and my dad and my brother were sitting up closer to the top, but they there was a lot of empty seats up there and the ushers started telling people, Hey, you can move down closer if you want. And they tried to come find us. And I think they got, they got into the same section, but they couldn't find us because there were some (laughs) empty seats. They could have. Yeah. Yeah. That would have worked. I I thought about doing that, but I wasn't sure how they would feel about it. 
at this particular theater. It's been a while since I've been to an event at the embassy. So I now I know. So going forward, I can just say, yeah, you can do that. It probably would have helped if I had kept my cell phone. on. I turned my phone off. You actually made a, a point of that. You turned to me and said, I, and unlike most people, usually I am actually turning my phone completely off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I turned it off. So if I had left it on, they might have actually been able to join us yeah. more closely. But, you know, what, you know, what can you do? <laughs> So the plans. the event itself was a showing of Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. And then afterward, Shatner was there and he mm-hmm. came out and uh, just told story after story after story. Story, story after story. Yeah, this is a tour that he's been doing for I don't know exactly how long. This is not the first time I've seen this. He's been doing this for a while. I think I saw it in, I want to say 2019. I was still in grad school. Because I skipped out on a suggested <laughs> grad school event <laughs> to, to go to uh, to to drive to go see this instead, I found out what uh, it was my friend Eric Anderson, who's written the forty two book series with mm-hmm. me. Which if you if you want to do an episode where you interview Eric and I about those books, give us a call. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and Eric runs a little ministry called Nerd Nerd Chapel. So for those of you out there, look up Nerd Chapel. And give Eric some speaking gigs. He will love it. He lives up in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area. Well, he's closer to Muskegon, but beside the point. Oh, anyway, I should I should look him up in the summer. I go up and spend three weeks in Muskegon every summer uh, with Johnny and friends, uh, family retreats. So Eric made me aware that Shatner was going to be in Grand Rapids. So I went to go see. Uh, so I went to go see him in Grand Rapids because I didn't. I don't think there were any other stops on his tour where he was going to be anywhere close. Now I didn't know he was still doing it, and then I saw some ads on Facebook saying, "Hey, William Shatner's going to be in Fort Wayne," and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, he's going to be in Fort Wayne!" <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the event itself was super interesting, though. Like when he starts talking, I, I'll I'll say this: he didn't need a host with him. <laughs> so there was yeah, a host. It was, it's always somebody local. When I was in Grand Rapids, it was somebody local. It was somebody local. Here is the guy who's the editor of Fort Wayne magazine. And when I saw him come out, I was like, I want your job. right now. <laughs> like, can someone fire you right now and hire me? Because uh, <laughs> I want your job. But it's like, Shatner does it. I, he's not. He wasn't even a moderator. No, he was there to ask some questions. There were some. Uh, I'm not sure who how they determined who was able to uh, submit questions, but there were audience submitted questions <laughs> that really served just as a, a a jumping off point for Shatner. It's like here's yeah. here's a question. Yeah, I'll answer that question. But first, this story. And then this story, and then I'll kind of bring it back to my answer. Here's your answer. But, oh, I'll also talk about this story here. And I, I can tell you that he did tell different stories than what he told when I saw it before in Grand Rapids. But that might be because it's been a couple of years and the man has lived a very storied life. <laughs> well, I definitely got the impression, and this is, you know, for me on the outside looking in without having gone to multiple events with him i felt like this very stream of conscious like yeah. there's certain stories you knew he had practiced this story this is something he wanted to talk about especially when he was talking <laughs> about the his space experience and, and going right. up in, in uh whatever was a blue sky or whatever it is 
Right. Um, yeah. The Jeff Bezos yeah. rocket, which that was that is something that's happened since I saw him in Grand Rapids. So that's a new story for sure. I guarantee you the DeForest Kelly bagel story is one that he's told multiple times in practice because he told that one in Grand Rapids. Well, and he told it really, really well, too. I mean, that's a story where he's it's a it's a hilarious story of playing a prank on DeForest Kelly. Who, yeah, they, they were working on a one of the Star Trek. I think it was Star Trek. Four, I want to say it was four. So, but they're not young. It was one of the start. The, the point is, it's during the movie time. They're not young, and DeForest Kelly is feeling like I think I'm losing my mind. I think I'm, I think I'm deteriorating. Yeah. I, you know, I think I'm having mental yeah. confusion. Ba- ba- basically, what happened was that it was for those who haven't heard the story is that it's in the evening and they have the catering there, and because they're doing a a late night shoot, and DeForest Kelly. Like Dr. McCoy apparently loves bagels. So he, he got a bagel out, put it in a toaster and he would sit there and kind of sing to himself. I'm going to have a bagel, going to have a bagel. And then he went and then Shatner went and got a hold of, <laughs> of Leonard Nimoy and told him to, you know, fake that he had something in his eye needed help. Distract him, distract, distract him. him. And then Shatner went over and like popped up the, uh, 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 popped up the bagels and took them away and then put it back down. Like it was, <laughs> And, le- and then DeForest Kelly would come over, and then it would, po- and then it would pop up, and there'd be nothing. He's like, "What?" And then he would, and then he would try to, he tried to do it again, and then Shatner pretended to have something in his eye, distract him again, took the bagels away, and then did it again. Yeah, and and then DeForest <laughs> Kelly catches it, and yeah, but it, so there's that story. There is also he talked about, um, yeah. It, going up into space and Mm -hmm. his feelings going up into space. This is where his worldview was definitely shining through as well, though, where he's like, he's looking into space and just seeing nothing. And, and, and he's very much, um, talking about how this is it, this life is it, you know? And, um, it's interesting too, because he is talking about his movie, his Star Trek movie that he wrote, or worked on as a story and, and directed is about the search for God. But um, he just, uh, you know, he looks out into space and sees nothing, then looks back at the earth and sees, you know, what we're doing to the earth. And, um, and it was just a very emotional thing for him, I, which I can absolutely believe. I think no matter who oh, yeah. you are, if you're going into space, it's going to be an, an emotional experience for you. Oh yeah. It, I don't it see how be. it can't be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then the other story, which he did not tell before, which I think actually I wrote down what I would say are like three lessons that you can take away from this whole spiel that he went on for an hour and a half. And this was where one of them came from. And I did not hear about this. I don't know exactly how old he was when this happened, but he was t- told the story about doing a one man show Broadway on Broadway. So like and he told the story about him and his wife came and they had dinner beforehand the night before had a good time went through the whole day you know getting ready for everything and everything's all pre-scripted and everything and he's tweaking it around because now he's on Broadway and all that sort of stuff and as soon as he walks on the stage is uh his let's just say acts up and he, he I he hope I sick. can say this on your show but uh he, got- he literally crapped his pants on stage that said, um, everybody technical difficulties, please stand by. And then ran up to his hotel room, changed clothes, showered, and came back down. The show must go on. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, and that's one of his, his claims to fame that he, 
he thinks, and I think he's probably right. No one has ever done that before on that Broadway stage. But, <laughs> but the the lesson that he drew out of that is that he said, "My mom, uh, I always tell myself that in six months I can tell the story." <laughs> So he's telling everybody, he's like, it might be bad now, but in six months you can tell the story. It's like we all, it's you know, the old saying is comedy is tragedy plus time. <laughs> yeah, no, and and it's not just the comedy of it. I mean, this is actually a life lesson that is, I think, a really strong one, and that's no, everything that happens is going to be a story. Everything mm-hmm. that happens is history, is what he said, and and when it's done, it's done. It's it's what do you do with it afterward? You know, mm-hmm. do you learn from it? Do you tell the story you know he got i don't know how many laughs he's gotten uh, from this story in in his years you know that does kind of put some perspective on things even for us as as believers who do believe in an afterlife and who do believe in you know a god who takes uh, a personal interest in our lives you know he he wants to be a part of our lives um everything is history after it's happened Right. And and what can you learn from it and and what can you build from it? Or is it just going to be a funny story in six months that you're going to tell to your friends and family that's so embarrassing? But, hey, (laughs) let's go ahead and tell this story. You know, let's let's laugh at me for a little bit. And then you tell your story. We'll laugh at you for a little bit. And then I'll tell my story about you and we'll laugh at you for a bit. And then you'll tell your story about me and we'll laugh. You know, it's it's that kind of a thing where it becomes a connecting point. Honestly, I feel like that's half of, of relationships is, is stories, you know, and I've heard it said to, this is, you know, kind of a sidebar, but I've heard it said that some people who, when they interrupt you or when they one up you, some people, it may be, I'm seeking attention, but it also be careful when you're judging someone like that, because it just might be that they're seeking connection. And when they're saying, here's my story, that's similar to your story. They're saying, I want to connect with you. I want to connect with you. I want, or maybe more specifically, I want you to connect with me, you know? Mm. Um, So they might be seeking attention, but it's also, they're seeking connection. Hey, Paul J powers. I hope you feel validated. (laughs) (laughs) master interrupter on retro rewind podcast also michael uh, michael hamilton my co-host on the power trip stop picking on me okay ben just validated me for all the times (laughs) i interrupted you all right i don't uh, i i can't speak to it directly but i'm gonna say right now he's seeking connection man (laughs) he's seeking connection just 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 roll with it it. yeah just roll with it so I wrote down two other phrases that I felt like were worthwhile lessons. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, since we're on the subject, let's talk about these. The other one that he brought up, and I think this is a, I loved this one. This is probably my personal favorite out of all of them, which was say yes to life. Yeah. My friend William, he he was, uh, he liked that a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he was talking about, cause like I said, William Shatner has lived a very storied life. He loves doing adventurous things besides all the acting so he writes horses he's done all kinds of just crazy stunts and everything over the years he loves being adventurous and he said that i've learned that you need to say yes to life if you're given an opportunity to do something do it 
yeah. say yes to life. He also because you'll regret because if you don't, you're going to regret it later. I also appreciated the caveat he gave to it, which was now if you're standing on a bridge <laughs> trying to decide <laughs> yeah. if you should jump off or or not jump off, don't jump off. <laughs> say yes to life. <laughs> but yeah, that is a that is not life. Jumping off a bridge is not life yeah. unless there's a bungee cord attached. Yeah, which I have done. That I I have gone bungee jumping once and. <laughs> It was quite the experience. It's a story for another day, though. Story for another right. day. Uh, right. But anyway, yeah. Actually, no, a little surprise. I didn't picture you as the bungee jumping type. <laughs> it, it, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you want to be careful what you're saying Obviously. yes to. But that was why he went to space. He wasn't going to do it. And then he mm-hmm. was one night just thinking, oh, wait a minute. What am I What am I doing? Why am I not doing this? <laughs> yeah. I, I always say, say, say yes, yes to, life. to life. And yeah. now I didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> So I yeah that was that was a a, a good bit. What was what was your third one? Your uh, the third other takeaway? one that is I think it's kind of related is that he he said cuz he said this is what he does. So I'm going to use the the Shatner version of what he brought up that you can customize for your your individual needs which was he tells him he says tell yourself every day because I'm Captain Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> he did a couple things that I felt were very practiced and very, you know, he, he, he knew where he was going with the story. He knew what he wanted to say with the story. Mm-hmm. And there were other so, sort of stock responses to things that happened. And so like someone yelled out something and he just points in the general direction and says, you're not going to do that again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Oh, he was asking somebody, he's like, does anyone know what, uh, what big science fiction movie came out in the se- uh, came out in the late seventies that you know like brought Star Trek back and someone said Star Wars. He's like, that's the last time you'll say that. <laughs> yeah. So, it just he had a couple different things like that, and one of them was an answer to a question. And the question was, "What's your favorite Star Trek episode?" <laughs> and he actually gave okay. two okay. answers to this, but yeah. one of them, well, I, I guess. There's kind of three parts to his answer. One okay, part was, was oh, I've never heard like, that question okay, before. This is, one of the, this is one of those things where they tell you, don't take this long to get to the get to your point. Oh, man. But he's William Shatner. So you and it's his show. William Shatner, no. It's his <laughs> show. And and so he says, first of all, oh, I've never heard that one before. It got a great laugh. Ooh. And then he starts talking about how he went to England to go and interview Stephen Hawking for a special. And he's going on and on and on. Now, at this point... The the punchline's already been figured out, right? Because he says, I have all these questions for Stephen Hawking, but then I find out <laughs> Stephen right. Hawking has a question for me. And then he starts talking about how he was sitting in the cathedral and watching a moat of dust in the sunlight. And he's like, that's us, a moat in the middle. And he, like all this stuff, all this stuff, all this stuff. And then and then he meets Stephen dust Hawking. Dust in the wind, man. <laughs> yeah. And then he meets Stephen Hawking and he, he gets around, finally he gets to the question that Stephen Hawking wants to ask. And it's not about like any kind of philosophical thing and or science. Yeah. He's building it up as well. Is he going to ask me about what's time? Is he going to, and he's building it up, but he doesn't need to build it up because we already heard the punchline. The punchline was said before the story even started, (laughs) but he gets the punchline, which was the question Stephen Hawking had for William Shatner was what's your favorite Star Trek episode, (laughs) which is hilarious. And then he shifts over to his actual answer, which he doesn't have one really. He doesn't. And then he just kind of admits, I don't like the way I look. I don't like looking at myself. 
And and then it, it turns into another story about how he's in a couple of weeks going to have to go and watch a documentary that watch someone made yeah. about the life that his life, and he's going to have to sit there and watch himself age on the screen. And it was really interesting, and just to see here's a man who strides into the room. He's ninety one years old, all the confidence in the world, but and he, he's, the energy of someone half his age. Oh my goodness, it was crazy. Yeah, because when I when I saw him in Grand Rapids. I paid the extra to get a photo op with him. So I actually got to meet the man and for, you know, it was a brief, it was brief, obviously, but I got to stand next to the man and take a picture with him. And I was overjoyed to say the least. (laughs) This man, I mean, he kept getting up and walking around the stage, which on one hand, that's just his style. You could, you could tell when he's telling stories, he has to move, but also he's been really, he, he's been spending time in the car. He's been spending time, you know, in the, <laughs> where was I last Yeah. Night? He, he couldn't remember where he, where he was the here. night before, but, um, <laughs> drove, I drove all the, I drove five hours to come to Fort Wayne. <laughs> They're all the small towns in Indiana. <laughs> yeah. So he's got all the confidence in the world. He strides on stage, but then he t- says, first of all, he stays in this dressing room as long as possible. So he doesn't see any part of the movie as much as possible. He, you could tell he wouldn't look on the screen up above him, which was a picture of him with mm-hmm. the title for the event. Um, he still has, uh, this bit of, of, uh, self-esteem, mm-hmm. Lo- you know, I don't, I don't like the way I look. And when I have to direct myself and, and be in the editing room, watching footage of me over and over, and over again, it's horrible. And, and it actually gave me a little bit of um uh what's the right word comfort sympathy comfort comfort, comfort. Okay. to have you know someone who has the stature that he has but who's who's willing to say hey you know i don't like the way i look and so i kind of avoid it and um you know how many people out there if you're a podcaster you don't like their voice you don't like to mm-hmm. listen to yourself when you you know and or if you're an actor you don't like the way you look or if you're for me, uh, you know, a big part of my job is just being in front of people. Mm-hmm. And I, of course I'm self-conscious, you know, and, and just to be able to say, you know what, it's okay. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't be too concerned about, you know, what do people think about, you know, what, what I look like anyway, it was just that, that brought some comfort to me just. Right. To- and it's interesting to hear that when, <laughs> I mean, if, you don't even have to be a Star Trek fan to know that William Shatner has a reputation, shall we say, being a prima donna. But to find out that he has, I'll say it, some insecurity yeah, yeah. You know, about himself. In one hand, you can kind of understand maybe why he would ha- you know, try to compensate for that by being, you know, by having a bit of an ego. But at the same time, it's interesting to find out that he is insecure like that it's 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 like a little piece of humble pie he has to carry with him yeah all the time yeah the the problem with insecurity in christian circles is you know we're supposed to you know we're fearfully and wonderfully made and we're mm-hmm. you know god ha- loves us and has a plan for our life you know and and these kind of things and if we are going to admit to insecurity then are we dismissing the reality of 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 God's love for us and right. and if we admit to insecurity are we somehow 
suggesting we don't have enough uh, faith. The other thing is I know in Christian circles, at least some of them, is that a lot of times that you know, insecurities or unconfidence or whatever actually gets conflated as virtue because yeah, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, but we also have to self, you know, self-flagellate ourselves as quote unquote sinners all the time, you know, and talk about how wretched we are and all of that. And I'm like, it's not, you know, after salvation, it's not like that anymore. It shouldn't be. (laughs) We should still be humble. Yes. But we're not supposed to be declaring our wretched. Yeah, yeah. When people are taking day. it the other direction and kind of reveling in that, uh, it is a matter of, I think, in some, maybe most, not all, but maybe uh, cases, uh, it's mm-hmm. it's taking pride in my modesty. Which makes no sense. You know, but <laughs> that is that is the textbook definition of oxymoron. <laughs> it is. It is. It's it's interesting too. I just saw a quote from C.S. Lewis. I can't remember the exact words of it, but basically, you know, Christ saying that he is meek and humble. Like he's literally the only person in the universe who can make that claim and still actually be meek and humble. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um, we're kind of pulling away from from Shatner here, but um, <laughs> we're just emulating what he did during the. Yeah, event. that's true. That's true. <laughs> the the one note that I made in the midst of what he was talking about was where he was talking about being in space, and and he was looking for kind of the lesson to learn while he was up there, and I just found it so interesting where he landed with that, and it was uh, first that we're nothing. Uh, kind of going mm-hmm. back to you know, this is not the Christian version of of the um being wretched, but but we're nothing in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. And then second was, uh, and I wrote the phrase down: the nobility of things, mm-hmm. the nobility of things. Because, and and he started talking about something that he was. Uh, this is part of his long rabbit trail to get around to Stephen Hawking's question, but just this idea of, and it is. When you think about the scale of things mm-hmm. and that you have a photon, let's just stick with our own sun. You know, you have mm-hmm. a photon leaving our sun uh, and it's it, it takes eight minutes to get to your eyeball, mm-hmm. you know, and it goes to your eye and that's where it's done. You know, that's but it, it it's, its journey was to meet you in your eyeball mm-hmm. Um He's, of course, talking about even these longer distances of space out there, you know, millions of years. Yeah. Talk about the stars may not even be there anymore. Just all of this. You know, when you see the stars, you're looking through, you know, a a time machine kind of a thing. And um, and and what he got to was the nobility of things. And I'm just what we're nothing but things are noble. And and it it brought me back to J. Michael Straczynski and his idea that. I, I first first came across it in Babylon five, yeah. but since then I come across it in other interviews that he's done, uh, articles he's written, and and even some I, I think it was in his his novel that I read recently, um, where it's we're all made of star stuff, star stuff, yeah, you know, and it's, it's just this idea, and <laughs> it, it, you say it like that, and it's like yeah, wow, <laughs> yeah, but then you realize oh wait this is the Incredibles. Where if everything is special, then nothing is special, right? Right. And, 
and it, it all boils down to perspective and it, and it comes through like this this idea where and we have to be careful about this as humans you know where we say we are in dominion over the earth you know and and that mm-hmm. means that we we've been given charge of it um are we special yes yes we are you know because the what god did when he created humanity in, in said, the image made, of god yeah. crown of creation we are made in the image of god in a way that's different than all of other other parts of creation you mm-hmm. know and so are is there something special there yes yes there is and that specialness comes from that being made in the image of god but specialness also comes in that god loves you you know and and you know with all your insecurities and with mm-hmm. with everything that you look at and say to yourself, I I stink or whatever, you know, um, however good or bad you're feeling about yourself, he loves you so much, you know, and I just was talking about this with uh, the basketball kids at the, at the basketball program that I, I've been doing mm-hmm. for the past, past few weeks, where it's just like, you can't do anything to make God stop loving you. It doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, my friend boy, I'm really on a rabbit trail now, but I had a friend, he's a pastor with me at my church. He's the care pastor. He's the one who goes, goes and does all the hospital visits and prays with people. Amazing man. Amazing man. His daughters were in my Sunday school classes and, uh, he comes to pick up his daughter. He's like, Hey, ask, ask pastor Ben, the question you had for me. And, and she's like, what? And he says, you know, the question that I didn't have an answer for ask pastor Ben, and so her question was, this is deep. This is, uh, she's older now, but she was, I think, third grade, maybe second grade when she asked this question. Oh, no. This this question was, does God love Satan? Oh, dang. Yeah, and, I, I remember being a kid and asking that question, so, too. And, and I was a little taken off guard. And then I was also a little angry, a little put out, because I'm like, Jason, like you're you're a pastor, too, man. Like, don't, don't push her off on me. Um but my answer was, I think, yes, I think that God mourns the, the loss of Satan and, and what, what, what has come from that. I think that that is a, a feeling of, of sorrow that, that God has. But I, I also believe that, um, I don't think God stopped loving the people or the, the, the in this case, not the people, but the entities who chose mm-hmm. to stop loving him. Right. And. So I, there may be something in the Bible that would prove me wrong. I made sure I told her, like, this is, this is what I think. You know, I I had to be careful with that one in spite of all your struggles and in spite of all your hangups, you know, he, he loves you. He loves Mm -hmm. you. So that's the important part that I'm trying to get to. So let's talk about the movie itself now. Yeah. So we've got (laughs) Star Trek Two: the wrath of Khan, uh, watching the movie this time, uh, I have to say, it just made me appreciate it even more. And and I is this your first time seeing it in a theater? I've never seen it in the theater. Never. This seen was it my theater. fourth. This is my fourth time. Uh, so never seen it in a theater. And beyond that, um, I feel like I watched it. I feel like I've watched it since I've been in my new house. So in the last two years, I've seen it at least once. Um, it was one that I had taped off of TV. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had seen it, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. 
but uh, that was you know, years and years and years ago. And so I did do have it on DVD. Uh, I have the director's cut on on Blu-ray, and I think that's what caused me to watch it uh, most recently. But yeah. uh, watching it this time, there was something that just struck me about the the storytelling structure and the the cinematography, the editing, the music, and just all of these factors outside of just the story and factors mm-hmm. outside of just the actors that just cause this to be a very strong and mature piece of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that maybe I was one of the reasons why I was paying such attention to that is just some of the new media material. And I don't want this to turn into a let's hate on things uh, episode, but right. I'm going to hate on something right now. Okay. I'm oh, gonna, no. Um, I have a button for uh, for my podcast. It's called <laughs> rant Master. Do you want me to hit it for you? It is not a rant. It is not a rant. But um, I have just gotten the feeling that certain things have just been amateurish. And I think that's the word that I would give because there is still some legitimacy to the creative impulse behind some of these things that I'm talking about. But uh, the the one, the example that I bring up and, and I have to be careful because I, I mean, people made Willow, but it's oh, the not, new TV show. It's not good. It's not okay. Good. So you mean the show, not the movie? Well, and I've talked about this on the podcast a little bit, but the, I went back and rewatched the movie and it's funny because my friend William had also just recently rewatched it. And he's like, it didn't hold up, did it? I was like, actually, it was much better than I remembered. And um, I'm glad that Lord of the Rings was never turned into a film in the 80s because it would have been Willow and it would have been attached to Lord of the Rings. But because Willow, the movie was its own thing and they were trying to expand, you know, morphing technology came out of willow they were mm-hmm. expanding on morphing technology uh with that movie and which is you know a common thing for lucasfilm uh projects but then i i got really excited about the series because i'm like ah i think i'll go ahead and just watch the movie because the series is coming out and this way i can and i watched the movie i was like oh man I want to do, I want to do a Willow podcast. Like I, I, I want to do <laughs> a Willow podcast. I want to do three episodes Willow? about the movie. And then I want to do a weekly episode about, well, oh. then I start watching the series. And I'm just like, Ugh. and it just feels mm. tonally. It feels off to me. And there's, there's modern sensibilities that I feel like just don't belong in the setting that they have. And, you know, I, what I was telling some people recently is like, people can complain about the, you know, the teenagerness of it. People can complain about the wokeness of it. You can complain about, you know, whatever you want. But my big complaint from watching it was, was really just, it's it's just not great. And it it feels amateurish. Mm -hmm. And the same can be said a little bit of some of even the new Star Trek stuff that they've been doing recently. Yeah. And Uh, new Trek is hard for me to get into, which is kind of, you know, so Strange New Worlds is probably the best of New Trek. It is. And but even then, one of their episodes, I'm just like, Ugh, this is this feels like a high school stage play right now. Which one? The 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 imagination one. 
that that oh pays, with the with the do- with that pays off the whole doctor subplot and his, yeah uh, and his dad and his daughter yeah okay. but a little bit but i think that was the point it was, well it was fantasy. the point but it just wasn't good and i felt like i don't know these characters enough for them to step into these broad comedy roles uh and and to be able to you know it just it didn't hit me in the right way mm-hmm. um but anyway there's just a feeling of amateurishness that comes in current things and some of it is our fault nathan mm. uh <laughs> mine more than yours i'm i'm you know i, I think i have a a good decade and a half at least on on you as far as my mm-hmm. age but i feel like it's people from my generation teaching people from you know your generation are a little bit younger and we learned how to write from watching star wars and now we're passing that on you mm-hmm. know instead of learning you know from the classics and learning mm-hmm. from you know it just feels like we're not getting the people who have been trained with the best of the best right which is interesting because star wars was informed by the classics it was it was and and this is where i feel like for all of us we need to be taking a few steps back star wars worked because it pulled from those classics but if star wars is your only frame of reference then it's you're not going to have the (laughs) you you need a a writer needs a liberal arts education. Yes. You know, where you're not just studying uh, the thing you want to do, but you're studying the things that informed the thing you want to do. Right. And you're studying the things that may have nothing to do with the thing you want to do, you know? And if you want to learn to write science fiction, then you need to be reading Shakespeare. You need to be reading your Bible. You need to be reading nonfiction. You need to be mm-hmm. reading these other things that are going to expand your experience and expand your vocabulary and expand your use of language mm-hmm. so that you're not just doing on repeat the things that have already happened. Right. I mean, even if you just compare Star Trek to, to the previous pre-reboot movies, there's it's night and day star trek 2 which is heavily informed by classic literature most specifically what was it it's king lear and moby dick and i think there's one more but those are tale of two cities tale of two cities and those because those are yeah. quoted and it, you know it clearly influenced the storytelling and then you have star trek insurrection where we have jokes about data's butt which you know honestly <laughs> little blue humor like that hey whatever you know but well and the characters are acting like teenagers (laughs) the the thing is you're you're looking at star trek 2 and they brought in uh nicholas meyer to to do star trek 2 yeah he took a star trek fan right he took it seriously incredibly seriously he did his homework and, you know, the the screenwriter was the same way. The original screenwriter, when he was hired, he's like, I've never seen Star Trek. So he went and watched every episode because he was like, I'm going to get something from the show and bring it into the movie. And Nicholas Meyer, I, I don't know if you've ever listened to Nicholas Meyer's commentary on Star Trek 2, Ben, but it is one of the most 
at least for me personally, as a writer, one of the most informative commentaries I've ever heard in, on a film. Well, because there's he also talked, a book too. Right. Yeah. But he talked about in the commentary what his about his background and his approach to everything. And he did not come at it as some sort of Star Trek super fan. He did his homework and had an appreciation for the material. But he came at it as a guy who loves classic literature and that, you know, and storytelling. And that was what he would do when he was revising the script and when he was speaking with the actors. Like he told Ricardo Montalban playing Khan, you know, he told him, like, I don't want you to go big. Like he would, when he was originally re, you know, doing the lines from the script, he was just making Khan big all the time. <laughs> Although Montalban also said they didn't entirely remember being on the original show, like the whole experience. So he had to kind of rediscover the character. And Meyer told him, he's like, no, 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 no. I want you to be King Lear. I want you to be really subdued and under control, except for specific moments. Because mad men are scarier when they're under control. And then when you do go big, it'll really stand out. Yeah. Yeah. And it was absolutely brilliant. And when I, when I heard that I was working on my first novel at the time and I took that approach to my novels villain, he only shows up for a couple of chapters, you know, actually in scene, but I did the same thing. He's, he's a madman, but he's under control the whole time until he kind of, it cracks a little bit and then he gets a little scary. Yeah. And so you have Nicholas Meyer. They, they go big with themes. They, they go big with, um, you know, checkoffs <laughs> sometimes literally, but checkoffs <laughs> everything, you know, if, 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 if they're referencing something in the beginning, they're going to circle around back to it at the end, you know, right. and just the idea of, you know, the needs of the one and the needs of the many, you know, and, those ideas, which then they are able to play with that for, you know, the next movie and the next few movies. Um, it just is a really strong piece of cinema. It, it is, really is. And it, I, I that, feel like it does go a little unappreciated outside of the fandom because I do feel like it does get a little overshadowed by other things in the genre you know, overshadowed by Star Wars. I mean, this was the height of Star Wars mania. You know, this is 1982. It's between Empire and Jedi, you know, and, you know, so that was kind of the new hotness. And Star Trek 2, I mean, Star Trek came back because of Star Wars with the motion picture, but the motion picture was almost a completely different animal than what people were used to with the original series. And then... It didn't make as much money as they were expecting, so they make decide to they barely are able to get a second movie greenlit, and then they give it a smaller budget, and then it becomes a. I think it's a better movie the, be than the motion it's picture. Much more, in, it's yeah. much more, oh, yeah. yeah, and it's much more indicative of the original series, and it was made on less money. Well, and, <laughs> the other thing that I find interesting, and this is Nicholas Myers looking at it. Okay, we're fifteen years out from the from the original show. It, it's about aging. Like mm -hmm. they're getting old and they're referencing, Hey, we're old and we're paying for mistakes from the past. And there's all these different thematic, th uh, ideas that they're pulling on and yeah, they're, they're taking the budget and they are squeezing every dollar mm -hmm. that they can. And there's a, there's a little bit of stock footage from the, fir from there. 
motion picture there in this. You is. know, I even leaned over to you at one point and I joked, just like, yeah, we're going to do the we're going to do the beauty shots in 30 seconds instead of 30 minutes. You know, <laughs> yeah, no, they they definitely had to do that. And that's a that's a television trick, too. You know, and right. these are guys that they you know, some of them have worked on on television for for Paramount. But mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I just I had a real appreciation for the movie itself this time watching it and just I think part of it was not having the distractions of being at home. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I probably gave it my full attention the first two times I watched it when I was in middle school, mm -hmm. you know, but, uh, but this was different because this was me sitting in a theater. I can't move. I'm not going anywhere. I don't have my phone out. I'm not, you know, I don't have any family in the house, you know, to, to talk to me or, you know, it's just me and this movie surrounded by a bunch of people who who got livelier and yeah here than they did when i was in grand rapids that was kind of interesting because they're actually applauding at certain points in the movie their their laughter is livelier at the humor that's in the movie you know <laughs> so another thing that i noticed that i hadn't noticed before is just how raw this movie is for scotty now, we saw this was the director's cut, right? Which I think is now the de facto cut okay. of the movie. So it's now the, the de facto. This is the canon cut now. And and the director's cut is the one that really plays up the relationship between one of the cadets and Scotty. It's his nephew, mm -hmm. which if you read the novel, the, uh, the his sister's youngest, he put it. Yeah. Which if you read the novel, that was already a part of, you know, what they put out there with the novel, but a lot of times novels are based on earlier drafts, mm -hmm. earlier cuts. And the novel, if I remember correctly, even kind of suggested a, I can't remember if it was a friendship or a relationship with Savick mm. and, and, uh, and Billy, I think his name's Billy. Mm. Can't remember his name now, but um, it's been decades since I read the, the Star Trek two novel. But um, at any rate, I already knew about that because of the novel, but it wasn't on the screen. It and was um, the footage that they used in this. Uh, for what I have read up until it was finally released on DVD when they were first. Well, it's the second time they were releasing the movies on DVD. Peter, by the way, it was Peter Preston. OK, not Billy, but the it was in the TV version of. Star Trek two. Oh, and so I would have had that on, on tape. Right. So because well, the, I, the elevator scene is also different between Kirk and Savick. Right. Uh, and that I remembered as like, when I watched the actual official VHS release, I'm like, wait a minute, it doesn't look right. Right. And the, there's a couple of shots of people going through Jeffrey's tubes that I know were par are also part of the director's cut. But, you know, so they're just like these little moments that they probably trimmed for time. But in the TV version, they, you know, they snuck them back in, which apparently was a little common. Kong 76. We talked about that on the <laughs> film vault. And for a few minutes before we started recording, you know, there's a longer version of it that was on TV. Same well, the motion picture Superman as well. 76. The motion picture had 11 minutes in it that were in the TV cut uh, that they released on VHS. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah, Superman the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was fairly common, but yeah, you're right. The, this is extremely wrong knowing that. I mean, it's such a little thing that I can't, I can't, I'm just shocked that they cut it out 
because it really enhances those scenes later, knowing that this is not just some random cadet. It is Scotty's nephew. He has a very personal connection here. Well, and it just it makes the scene between him and McCoy a different scene when McCoy declares him dead. And it makes it just. But here's the other thing. He has to go right back to work. Mm -hmm. Like he's in the middle of trying to process losing his family. But then, no, we are in the middle of a battle. You have to get back to it. The middle of a crisis. I mean, it was true for everybody. And then Kirk does not like to lose people. He takes it very personally whenever he loses a member of his crew. Well, when it's convenient for the story. Well, sure. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, but then he, he goes off and takes care of business. And then Spock comes down and Spock goes into the, the room with the radiation to fix the ship so they can escape. And, and Scotty is there for that, too. And it's basically a, a mirror. And this might have been why they might have... Um, taken away from the relationship a little bit with the edits, but here's another close friend of Scotty who is going to die because he was saving people and doing it on Scotty's turf. And it made Scotty's emotional plea uh, as he's yelling at Spock to get out of there. Right. Just, it just hung a little different for me watching it this Mm time. Right. Right. It, there's there's just so much in this that, you know, every time I watch it now, I am continually struck by something else in it. The I mean, we, we've we talked about a lot of the character stuff that goes on with this. We're talking about age and Khan is seeking revenge and it's a very understandable motivation for revenge. Kirk said, oh, I'll come back to check on you. And he never did. And then after six months of surviving well enough, you know, the kind of plot hole where another plot, where one of the neighboring planets blows up and for 14 and a half years, he's been stuck on an arid planet, barely surviving his wife, who was a character on the original show. They never say her name, but it's very strongly implied it's the woman who left with him the historian mm-hmm. that he charmed in the original episode space seed she's dead and he only has a handful of followers left and the fact that these genetically engineered supermen can't you know most of them died after trying to survive on this planet should tell you something <laughs> yeah. so i know people say the whole thing about Khan shouldn't remember Chekhov because Chekhov wasn't on the show yet. Doesn't mean he wasn't on the ship yet. Doesn't mean he's on the ship. I'm okay. sorry. It's fine. And it's so, fine. And Khan never it forgets an, a It face. was an oversight on the screenwriter, but it's not unbelievable that Chekhov was just on the dang ship. <laughs> it is t- not a problem at all for me. Yeah. Khan says, I never forget a face. So passing that random ensign uh, in the lower decks, not a big deal. Not, not a, big a big deal. deal. Not a big deal. Them but- losing track of the planets arriving at the system and thinking that this is SETI alpha guys. (laughs) Yeah. This is SETI alpha five. This Um, is SETI alpha five. Yeah. That's a little more like, okay. All right. Well, we'll go with it right? because it has to get things moving somehow. And how else are they going to end up in a place that should have been reported? 
you know, like the, yeah. this is something that would be in their systems. And that's the other thing that bugs me is that when they get there, it's not in the system or the computer system doesn't have anything in there warning them about what this, what these planets might have. Um, I think the idea is that they were very certain that it was SETI Alpha 6 and not 5, so they probably wouldn't have even thought of it. Because and clear, SETI Alpha and the, 6 was lifeless. Yeah. But the the fact that SETI Alpha 5 is not there, <laughs> that's like, wait a minute. This Right. This should be here. Right. So. I, I I get it. You know, it it's not completely airtight, but let's be honest. Even the best stories, if you scrutinize them hard enough, you're going to find errors. They won't be as airtight. But one of the things that always strikes me with this, this is one of the things that really distinguishes Star Trek from Star Wars. And that is the it's one of the the style points and newer movies are trying to move toward this. But the best description I actually heard of it actually came from J.J. Abrams when he was talking about how directing the first reboot movie in 2009 was he said that he was more of a star Wars fan. And he said that he felt like star Wars was like rock and roll. It was a little bit more modern and star Trek was more like classical music, a little bit more methodic. And so his goal was to bring a little bit of rock and roll to star Trek. We're not here to debate if that was a success or not, or a good idea. But if you look at Star Wars with its very intense dogfight sort of space combat, and then you watch this movie, this is, you know, it, the the initial battles that we get is old time naval, right here. It's two oh, it's, ships, you know, it's two ships flying by, it's, uh, sailing by each other broadside, and then shooting each other with cannons, you know. And then you get to the Matara Nebula, and it's submarine combat. Yeah. Run silent submarine warfare. Run deep. Yeah. It's it it, and that's you know, that's Nicholas Myers taking a look at the the inspirations too. I mean, they talk about how this is, you know, Star Trek is wagon train to the stars. That's one of the the pitch items for for Roddenberry. But he was also looking at Horatio Hornblower. You know, he's also looking at these these classic naval novels. Um it's interesting. I just read uh something Arthur C. Clarke said about himself. That if he had grown up in a different time, he would have been writing naval battles and mm-hmm. and and water exploration instead of the science fiction that he wrote. And mm-hmm. you can almost get that idea from from Roddenberry as well. Like he's this is his the classic adventures of boatsmen, you know, in in space, you know, mm-hmm. and the exploration being so far away from um, from the Empire you know, the, the British empire, but you know, that's, that's what was happening in the, in the original star Trek. And mm-hmm. yeah. And then, yeah, this was definitely, uh, yeah, the naval battle. The, right. Uh, the other thing I appreciate about it is how these ships are coming around to, f- and swinging around to fight each other. It's not star Wars. It's not little fighters on the death star or the, you know, millennium Falcon, you know, spinning around the, the uh, asteroid belts in, in Empire Strikes Back. It's big ships right? that take a long time to turn around because of the size and speed and and, and mass. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the way, like I said, it's old naval combat and it's submarine warfare. The It's all about, you know, these slow buildups of tension 
that are punctuated by intense outbursts of violence, you know? So especially when we have the Reliant and the Enterprise meeting each other and Kirk has no idea that the, that the Reliant's been taken over by Khan. And they're both kind of playing, you know, Kirk's kind of it's safe a little bit. It's peculiar. Yeah. And then they come by each other and then they're like, what? They raise their shields and then they shoot at him and hurt him really bad. You know, so it's like, you know, so the, and it's this long sequence where we're cutting back and forth between the characters trying to figure out what's going on. Then they come by each other and then bam, we get this outburst of violence and stuff is blowing up. And then yeah. we stop and then we start talking again, you know, or in the Mutara Nebula, that re- that's where we really get it because they're just moving around all the time trying to sneak up on each other. They can't quite hit each other as well because the Nebula is messing with their sensors and the view screen. So, you know, they try to shoot each other. It doesn't work. And it's, it's just this constant tension with intense violence punctuating it. It is it, nobody does that anymore. Everything is very slam bang anymore now. Well, and and also along with that, it's intense music punctuating mm-hmm. it. It's James, James Horner, Horner. <laughs> um, and I'm trying. I don't know all of the sequencing, but I believe this is one of James Horner's first movies. It's interesting though because he does return to some of these themes in other movies. I mean, this whole movie defined the Star Trek movies for like a decade and a half, if well, not longer specifically with the with the James Horner score though he returns to this in cocoon he returns to this in aliens he definitely returns to it in star trek 3 but specifically for him this defined him i th- i think for a little while and he says he never intentionally did that um, and he doesn't remember a project after he's done with it. And so that's why when people would say, this sounds very similar to something else you already did. He's like, well, maybe I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. So I, and I, I feel like I, I, well, I'm not sure if he's being honest or not. With yeah. That, I'm, but. I'm looking at his filmography right now and he had a, he had a, he actually had a lot of stuff before this, especially did 1978. He? he scored like six movies. 1978 but he had several other things before this a lot of it is nothing that i've heard of though or they sound like b movies like humanoids from the deep battle beyond the stars oh yeah that one that was before star trek 2 yeah but this is all before star trek 2 okay that Uh, one lady in red from 1979 battle beyond the stars you can hear him trying to emulate uh jerry goldsmith and, and and Star Trek, the motion picture. Right. And in 1982, the same year as this, he also scored 48 hours. Okay. But the, yeah. Oh, he did an Oliver Stone movie, The Hand. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it, yeah. The music here, it's loud and bomba- bombastic and then quite intense. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but then also there's introspective moments with it, like the conversation with uh, Kirk and Spock in his room where he's trying to tell Spock, hey, something's gone wrong. You're the captain. I'm I'm there for you. And Spock's like, no, no, you, you need to be the captain. This is your destiny. That kind of mm-hmm. thing. Well, he's also saying, like, we're on. We're, this isn't a training mission anymore. We're on active duty. Yeah. Yeah. And you're the, so you're the ranking say, officer. You're the senior officer. Yeah. You're in charge. But the music that's going on behind that is just a very nice, um, 
simple, quiet theme that's playing. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and that's the other thing is it, the screenwriting in this is so incredibly tight because almost every scene is doing multiple things. You know, the scene with Spock and Kirk in Spock's quarters, that's doing a couple of things at once. It's Kirk going in and telling Spock, hey, we're going on active duty. Weird things are happening with Genesis. We're going to go investigate. And then it turns into also turns into a character moment between the two of them because Spock is saying, hey, you were born to be a starship captain. You should be in charge. And he's like, no, no, no. I, you know, it's your ship. You should be in charge. That sort of a thing. So it's I love it. I love it. That's a mark of good writing. Well, and and the you're my friend. I have been and always will be yours. You know, mm-hmm. like there's that they reference later. Um, the other thing that's nice about this movie is the friendships in that crew. Now, Chekhov, Sulu, Uhura, Scotty, although Scotty gets his moments, but Chekhov, Uhura and Scott and, uh, and Sulu, eh, they have some lines. Um, yes, Chekhov gets some more because he's not even, yeah, but he's not, the with, the, he's not with the group. To the Reliant. He, he's not there with the group for most of the time. Right. But the friendship, especially the Trinity, uh, Kirk, Spock and McCoy, um, as you're, you know, they're joking with each other. They're, you know, short with each other. Um, when McCoy comes to Kirk's room to celebrate his birthday and, you know, he just comes in and he is, I basically, he's that friend who we're friends. So I'm just going to say it how it is. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. <laughs> McCoy and, doesn't sugarcoat anything for anybody. <laughs> no, but he here, he just, he just comes in, blows through and is going to say what he's going to say to Captain Kirk. He is literally the only one who can talk to this man like this, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I feel like you could come into this movie and I'm curious what people who didn't ha- know anything about Star Trek, but who were at the theater when this movie came out, what they thought of it, you know? And, um, I have some old Starlog magazines, which is interesting. Uh, and I don't have any that, that explore Star Trek too, but they have pages, three or four pages of letters to the magazine about current stuff. And, when aliens came out, this is probably the most famous thing for me. Anyway, when aliens came out, people wrote to Starlog to talk about their feelings about aliens and how it lived up to the original movie. And then James Cameron read that and wrote a few pages in response to the letters that were <laughs> sent to Starlog, you know? And so that wow. was the place to, to see like what people thought about the movie in the moment and I'm really curious to see what people thought about the, the movie in the moment. It, that would be interesting because I don't know. Could this stand alone? You would obviously get more out of it if you're a fan and had seen the television show. You might have been able to go into it without seeing the motion picture. I do feel like pop culture wise, Kirk, Spock and McCoy were known were a known quantity. And mm-hmm. that's, I think part of why they took a, a chance on doing star Trek two, even after the, the motion picture didn't do what they wanted it to do. It made money. The motion picture made money, but it didn't get the response that they were hoping for. Right. And 
So I, I, I do feel like Joe Schmo probably was flipping channels and, and came across it every once in a while on, you know, in syndication. They probably knew who Kirk and Spock, if, if you're a TV watcher, you know, you probably knew who they were. Um, or you saw Leonard Nimoy show up on the Carol Burnett show or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. but um, obviously the, the fans are going to get a lot more out of it. But I do feel like this, the screenplay, it brought the relationships to life. It created context for those who didn't know the context. Mm-hmm. It explained, I mean, Khan's backstory, The they had to have <laughs> someone there who didn't know it so that Khan could expositate. Ex- <laughs> but um, Speechify. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he could, you know, it's plot exposition. Hashtag it has to go somewhere. Are real. <laughs> so. Uh, but yeah, I, like I said, I feel like this film deserves more attention and accolades outside of the fandom than it gets, because I, I really do think it's an extremely strong screenplay and, and an incredibly well done film all on its own. And maybe it's overshadowed by other franchises, you know, especially at the time, but you know, they kept making Star Trek movies because of this one. I, I do feel like the franchise, the franchise itself, might work against itself with this movie. This movie is because of its strengths. The franchise, there are people who won't, who won't be interested because of Star Trek, mm. who, who might have been more willing to to see a non-franchise sci-fi movie that's this well done. Mm-hmm. it's hard to know hard to know i know but i will say this that not only do we have the you know the old characters coming back but and to go along with the theme of aging we also have a bunch of young you know, we've already talked about peter the nephew but we also have the screen debut of christy alley yeah. as savick in this you know this young this young vulcan who you know appears in a couple more movies after this, played by a different actress, but still she comes back. Yeah, and I actually times. prefer Robin Curtis as Savick. Mm-hmm. That's I'm one of those people. Mm. I I think I saw her first, admittedly, but you know it's so it, there's so much going on with this, and having those young characters, I think would give maybe some younger viewers or some newer viewers something to latch on to, you know, because. You know, they can more readily identify with them being, you know, young and trying to figure things out and then having to learn things the hard way. I love the whole bit about, you know, the movie tricks you at the beginning because apparently even back in the early eighties, rumors circulated that Spock was going to die. So they, well, yeah, because fans found out and started a letter writing campaign, right? Like we can't let this happen. Right. So they tried to mess with them at the beginning because it, it turns out we're watching a simulation at the Academy and they make it look like Spock dies in the first five minutes <laughs> and, and then makes it look like, well, that could have been it. Yep. That you know, been it. Just nope. acting, pretending just to acting. be dead. Yeah. Could've yeah. And then 
we find out that the because this is and this was a huge thing to add to the Star Trek lore where we find out about the Kobayashi Maru, this no win scenario that I mean, I watching the movie again, I'm sitting here thinking, like, do the cadets all go in knowing what they're getting themselves into? I think it's meant to you be know? a. a they secret. said it's a test of character. Right. But I think it's meant to be the kind of thing. Once you've gone through it, you don't tell anyone about it. Mm-hmm. And then when they've gone through it, you can talk about it with them. But right. you know, don't let anyone else know because if you do, it ruins it ruins what the test is supposed to be. Right, but it, you know, but I think it's a it, you know it was a brilliant thing to try out, and then we find out that oh yeah, Kirk is the one guy who beat it. We don't know why, and then we find out later, oh yeah, I cheated. <laughs> Change the parameters. It's like you cheated. Change the parameters of the test so I could win. I don't like to lose. That's a that's a line from this movie I use all the time. I don't like to lose, <laughs> you know. But then that's turned into a character moment because we we find out later that Kirk's like, yeah, I've always cheated death. I've never had to face it like this at the end of the movie after Spock has died. I'm not used to it. Yeah, and now you know? in a couple of weeks he's going to be back. But like, well, yeah, but they didn't know it at the you time. You still didn't really uh, but technically then he's have, have to, to face, face death, death again in the next movie because David, who gets introduced here, dies in the next yeah. movie. So. Well, that's the thing. There's a trade-off. And so at the very least, and and really, yeah, any anything like this, there has to be some sort of trade-off. And so Spock coming back to life in Star Trek Three, which I hope to talk about soon with John Haru. We'll, we'll see if we can make it work. But... um. You, you you have the trade-off of he rescues his friend but loses his ship, loses his son, mm-hmm. loses his career. He doesn't know what's going to happen after they steal right. the ship. But... Right. I, I will tell you, watching this and other 80s films, particularly 80s genre films, I forget how harsh they are willing to be at points. Yeah. <laughs> whether that be aesthetically or with other things. I mean, I, I remember as a kid, because I, I have watched this movie a lot since I was a child. I said I got it, started getting into Star Trek around age three or four. It was something I did with my dad. The original series would get reran on a local channel every night at 10 o'clock. So I would stay up and watch it with dad. And, you know, so, you know that was bonding time with dad. And then I started yeah, totally. watching the movies I used to be terrified of certain scenes of this movie. The the space bug scene, the the, the little kaiju you, you were hinting at at the beginning, that was this that scene terrified me and I would always as many times as I watched this movie and loved this movie, I would run to the other room until I was like 10, 11, 12 somewhere around there and then I finally made myself sit there and I always told I remember Growing up as a kid, it's like I would tell myself, "Okay, I know it's coming. This is going to be the time I finally sit here and watch it. <laughs> this is going to be the time I finally watch it." Then I would still run away, and I would hear everybody screaming and all of this sort of stuff. And you know, sometimes I would last a little bit longer into the scene, but still end up running away. And then I finally made myself do it. And then when I watched it, I'm like that does didn't look nearly as bad as it did in my head. <laughs> <laughs> it just it, it cracks me up to think about that now. <laughs> I don't know if it was like this test of you know boyish fortitude for the longest time, and then I finally made myself do it. <laughs> so one last thing for me, just that I appreciated with this viewing, was just 
the preciousness of life mm-hmm. that was and and it's in its extreme form where they won't test the genesis effect on any planet that has any trace of the possibility of future life mm-hmm. um, but then you have the preciousness of life of you know dear friends the mm-hmm. you know Scotty's nephew dies because he's helping other people live Spock mm-hmm. dies because he he's never left his live. post yeah yeah <laughs> you have all of these you know th- these sacrifices but then you also it's a war movie because you have this battle and you have these people putting their lives on the line you have this person who doesn't care about life he's so consumed with the need for his own vengeance he's Captain Ahab yeah that he's going to go after Kirk and he is going to destroy Kirk and he makes choices Kirk makes choices of trusting the reliant as it's coming that causes people to die but it's because he is we're all one big happy fleet Khan is making choices that is going to kill the people that survived with him after the the, the destruction of SETI Alpha 6 <laughs> Khan I'm laughing at the superior yeah. intellect. <laughs> and and he puts his people on the line. And when he has a loss, you get the sense of pain for him. But at the same time, it's his own fault. Like the person who dies, that means the most. The only, the only person they paid to have speaking lines on his crew. <laughs> when he dies... It's because Khan ignored his advice to get out while the getting was good. And it's, you know, but he more important to Khan is the need for vengeance because of the loss of life that he had experienced Mm -hmm. early on. That was Kirk's fault or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. But just that preciousness of life, you have that Messiah ish, uh, moment with Spock where he's giving his life mm-hmm. for his friends. I wrote a devotional about it, actually. The Did you use the verse, greater love has no one than this? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was it, in the first 42 book. Totally makes sense. I mean, that's what you have going on here. This is Spock choosing because his friends are on board. And the other thing you don't think about too much, but his students are on board as well. Mm-hmm. These are his students that he has been a part of their academy experience, and he is there with them unemotionally, quote unquote, having to deal with what's going on there. But and the moment when he walks off the bridge, it's a, just a beautiful little moment. He just takes stock of the situation and realizes if anyone's going to do it, going to be me. I'm not even going to ask. Me. I'm going down. Yeah. And. Yeah, and so it just again. Oh, and and then the scene when he talks with Kirk. I mean, like I just I was reminded this time, just and maybe it comes. This comes from the fact that I was raised in a military family. Both of my parents were in the Air National Guard, so I learned about stuff like this, saw it firsthand a lot of times. Spock despite the fact that he is now just dying from all the radiation in there, when he stands up and he knows Kirk is there, he still bothers to make sure that his uniform looks all right. Like, you know, tugs on the coat a little bit, make sure it's fine. And then apparently he can't even really see all that well. And he walks over there and he bumps into the glass. 
it's just it's heart wrenching to watch that. And then they're separated by the by you know an inch of glass, and they can you know they can barely talk to each other. And then we when you get to the the funeral scene, and you hear Kirk cry, just choke up a little bit right at the end. It gets me every time. You know, especially when Leonard Nimoy died, and I was thinking of those lines. You know, and when Spock, when uh, excuse me, when Kirk says, "In all my and tra- all of my travels." No, of all the souls I've encountered in all my travels, travels, travels. this was the most human. And then they have Scotty and you might say, oh, this is such a stereotype. I don't care. Scotty, the Scotsman is there playing amazing grace on bagpipes. (laughs) I don't care that we get a burial at sea with the photon torpedo. And it's just, the scene is about as close to perfect as you can get. And then, cause they have him playing live amazing grace on the bagpipes. And then when they cut to the outside of the ship and we see the torpedo launch, it's James Horner and the orchestra picking just up swells. where, yes. Yeah. Picking up where it left off with amazing grace. Right. Right. When they cut. Yeah. No, it's, and it's again, editing music, cinematography all these things are just packaged into this one tight sci-fi what could have been a b movie you know uh but it's it's elevated it's an elevated sci-fi mm-hmm. i mean it's, it's, you could say the same thing about the first alien <laughs> just yeah. not to think about it the, the first alien really is a it's it's a it's a classy b movie it's an elevated b movie yes yeah. for sure it's a classic sure. movie, and you and know. and the the remake Aliens, which if you look at Aliens and Aliens side by side, Aliens is a remake. It follows the beats mm-hmm. almost exactly. It's amazing um, how well it does that. But you throw in the military side and and James Horner's music, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. just as bombastic. Um, which is another so Alien scored by Jerry Goldsmith. Star Trek The Motion Picture, <laughs> scored by Jerry Goldsmith. <laughs> Who does the true. sequel? James Horner. James <laughs> Horner. <laughs> that is very true. That is very true. I, I could, man, I could talk about this movie for hours. You could, but we're not going to. We're actually going to shut I this know. thing down. So, Nathan, uh, give us a couple different places where we can find you online. Where should people look for you? I should, uh, I should have lived with this before we even started, but I have to thank you, Ben, for having me on for this, not only because we shared the experience together, but this is my all-time favorite movie. <laughs> yeah, no, glad to have you. Glad to have you. Yeah, but anyway, you can check out my writings on my author website, which is in desperate need of an update. <laughs> at NathanJSMarchand.com. Yes, I had to use my two middle initials because someone else already had NathanMarchand.com as a domain. I need to find this guy. We need to have a talk. <laughs> I have a feeling his name might be easy to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> and according to a website that I call like, uh, like, uh, like something like, you know, all of me.com or something along those lines. I forget what the, the website doesn't exist anymore. You can type in and, and it will go through census data and find out how many people in the United States share your exact name. And I'm one of like seven. Oh, man. <laughs> But as for the podcast, you've you know you've heard me before talking about the Monster Island Film Vault. Ben, you've been on the Monster Island Film Vault a couple of times, 
So I highly recommend checking that out. Uh, it talks a lot about kaiju and tokusatsu. I also do shows on Henshin Hero, so Henshin Men, which is about Japanese superhero television, a little bit of movies. The, the the surprise hit that I've had in the last year is the Power Trip, which is about Power Rangers. It has been more popular than I was expecting. Well, Nathan, thank you for spending time with me talking about this movie. And uh, if you want to find out uh, more about anything that has to do with Strangers and Aliens, go to strangersandaliens.com. But don't forget, we are also on YouTube. Hope to have some new episodes up soon. But we do book reviews and short devotionals on youtube and also you know go to facebook facebook.com slash strangers and aliens where you can get notified about everything that's coming out including my upcoming book very excited ghosts of the future uh it's it's coming soon and if you're listening mm-hmm. to this and in the future, s- you could and you've got some projects it. going on right now that you're going to have to start telling people about later. Yeah, right? yeah. the The project you're talking about, that I think you're talking about, you got a little bit of time on that one. There's, it's mm-hmm. going to take a little while to to get that thing together because it's a collaborative project from a def, uh, number of different people. Um, mm-hmm. So there's always going to be just some time time things involved. But yeah, time. Mm-hmm. But it, it, actually, I say time is involved but that's because um it's about time travel (laughs) all right with all that said i want to say to everyone just thank you so much for listening thank you for spending time with us it's been 401 episodes which is um more than i thought we'd ever get to (laughs) and uh even though we've been going slower recently i'm hoping to pick up some steam i've got some interviews that i'm gonna be doing with some authors and Uh, some special guests that I have that are coming on hopefully to talk about some movies and things like that so Mm -hmm. there's more to come Uh, God willing and the creek don't rise (laughs) talk to y'all later Godspeed you've been listening to the Strangers and Aliens podcast hosted by Ben Avery Evan David Steve McDonald and Dr. Jason Neal Our music was composed and mixed by Tim Leffel. We'd love for you to join the conversation by going to our website at strangersandaliens.com where you'll find show notes, articles, reviews, and more. You can also email us directly at podcast at strangersandaliens.com. Or you can join our social media conversations by following us on Twitter where we are at strangeandalien or liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash strangersandaliens. Or leave us a voicemail by calling the Strangers and Aliens hotline. That number is 1-804-3781. And once again, thanks for listening. Because I'm Captain Kirk.